Welcome to Wellness Now, a health and wellness information program brought to you by Valleywise Health and District Medical Group. Each week we go in depth with different healthcare experts on some of your top health questions, getting answers to help you live your best life. Hello and welcome to Wellness Now, presented by Valleywise Health and District Medical Group. My name is Dr. Michael White, and I am the Chief Clinical Officer at Valleywise Health, and it's an honor for me to be the new host of this radio show and podcast. To kick off the season, we're spending the whole month of March going in-depth on COVID-19, sharing what we've learned one year after this terrible pandemic arrived in Arizona. Joining me today is Dr. Ross Goldberg. He is the president of the Arizona Medical Association and District Medical Group Vice Chair of Surgery at Valleywise Health. Dr. Goldberg, thank you very much for joining us today and being my first guest on the show. Thanks for having me. Today, we're talking about what we've learned one year after COVID-19 reached Arizona borders. We have so much to unpack here. My first question, how are you feeling as we look back on one year? It's hard for me to imagine it's been a year already. There's some ways it's gone very quickly. Other ways, it feels like dog years where it's been seven years. You know, we've learned a lot over the year. Uh, we've had our ups and downs, and it's really been an interesting uh, introspection look on how our system handles something of this magnitude, because I think we all haven't really been tested like this before. So we've learned a lot, just not about the disease, but about how our systems work as well. How do you think we're doing now? Do you think we're barely hanging in there? Or do you think we're winning this fight and see light at the end of the tunnel? I actually do see some of the light. You know, it, it's kind of a, a windy road. is isn't a straight and narrow path. I think we've had a lot of advances in a very short period of time when you think about it from a medical standpoint. But there's still some hurdles out there that we need to overcome. But I do think we are moving in the right direction, especially compared to where we were last year. What has surprised you about the response to this pandemic, specifically from leadership and the public perception and how we've been able to handle this? You know, the one thing I've always kind of been talking about is from a medical community standpoint, I think people didn't realize how it is we analyze and figure out how to treat diseases. And they're kind of getting a large view of it under a very big microscope. And I wish we were a little more upfront um, from the medical standpoint regarding that things were going to change over time. I think, unfortunately, the politics got in there and kind of made things a lot more complicated than they had to be. But I wish we had been, I'm talking about as a community, been really upfront saying, look, we're going to give you recommendations, but they're going to change as we learn more. And they may seem contra uh, contrary to what we said before, but that's okay. This is how we go through the process. Um, but otherwise, I do think people understand and realize now that we are learning and adapting, and there has been a lot of advances because of it. It's just been a very tricky path to, to navigate. Yeah, I agree with you. I certainly think that it's been, you know, eye-opening for how much the public didn't really, you know, appreciate the process that we undergo as healthcare delivery organizations and as healthcare providers when we take new information and assimilate that. You know, what we learn today may be something totally different tomorrow and how we have to pivot on a dime and that message sending to the community certainly has been interesting for uh, people to understand and, and really watch how the sausage is made, which a lot of people don't see um, when they go to their uh, clinician and healthcare provider every day. 
No, exactly. The, the the one I always use now is how many times have you heard throughout your life that an egg is either good for you or bad for you? And how many times has that changed? Uh, it, that is almost a quintessential example of as we learn more information, we could change our recommendations. Uh, and we just have to continue that message, I think. I think the public's starting to get it now. I just wish that message was up front from the very beginning. How do you think your life has changed in the last year dealing with this pandemic? Well, it's in my roles, uh, especially as a role as president of the Arizona Medical Association, you know, this wasn't the the goal I had when I took over as president last year. Uh, this wasn't on the plans. Uh, I've learned a lot about a lot of different things, and I've learned a lot about the infrastructure of the state and the federal government when it comes to public health and where kind of our soft spots are. It's been an education, you know, in real time, if you will. And it's been a challenge to try to figure out logistically how to handle some of this when you're dealing with multiple fronts. And it it makes you think and look at things differently. I definitely have a different view now of how to approach the healthcare system and kind of how to make changes just based on the experiences I have had in my role talking with the state and the federal government, uh, working here at ValleyWise and seeing how internally we were doing things. And you'll learn of what to do and what not to do uh, through trial and error. So it's been a, a very big learning experience that I actually do appreciate given everything we've been through. How do you think the world has changed with all of this? Certainly, we know now that we are wearing masks in public all the time. We continue today to limit the way we're gathering in large groups. What other ways have you seen us change in society and the world as a whole? Well, we've definitely embraced the virtual component of almost everything. Everything, every meeting that I was supposed to go to is now virtual. Uh, even I did Thanksgiving virtually with my family because I couldn't be with them. Uh, and so we've gone kind of extreme to one way where we're learning how to integrate that. But we're actually discovering new ways we can do things. I think from a business model perspective, realizing that maybe all the office space you need is not necessary based on how we can handle our business. Uh, we had to adapt and think of how we handle things, uh, our protocols and how we are safe with one another, not just when we see people out and about, but for traveling, for, for hotels, for anything like that. You have to think about it to another layer now that we weren't doing before. Uh, funny enough, the, the best example I can give of is actually when I go get a haircut now. You know, I used to go to, to the, the salon. It was fine. No problems. But now, you know, they are ultra careful with cleaning. Every time you get up, they clean after you. There's plexiglass between the sinks. And they made the comment to me that this is stuff they probably should have been more thorough about before. And this kind of forced the issue. It gave us a broader view on how to approach things. And I think there will be some residual effects as we move forward on how we handle day-to-day -day life because of what COVID has done to us. If you're just tuning in, we're talking about what we've learned one year after the COVID-19 pandemic arrived in Arizona. Dr. Goldberg, how do you think Arizona did compared to the rest of the country in the world in reacting to this pandemic? Well, there are definitely a lot of opinions out there. I think, you know, there were some positive things and some things we could have done better. I think when this is all done, we're going to take a good hard look at where our successes were and where maybe we could have been a little more proactive. Also, I think 
the way our disease spiked was different from the rest of the country. So it kind of skewed our ability to do things. For example, early on, we did not see a big jump like we saw in other parts of the country. We were fortunate that way. We were ahead, kind of the stay at home order was in there in April, kind of got released in May. And I think the general public thought, well, we did okay. There wasn't too bad. So let's just relax and go back to normal life. And then of course that helped lead to the surges that we saw over the summer. So I think as a group as a as a citizens of the state we learned that we couldn't relax so quickly i think again uh, there were some things that we were very aggressive on other things that we learned about you look at the vaccination distribution the way arizona is designed it had to be done through the counties per our statutes but now things were being a little tricky because you know all these individual counties were doing it their own way the state did step in to try to help uh, that State Farm Stadium setup is a perfect example of kind of, I think, a positive move forward with a 24-7 megapod. But it, it's it's things like that where we're learning on the fly. I, I will say that being able to provide information to uh, the governor, to DHS, ADHS about what needs to be done. They're analyzing everything. I really want to wait and say, you know, give us an overall grade once we're out of this so we can really look at it. I do think there are some clear examples of where we need to strengthen our public health infrastructure, not just in our state, across the country, where I think it could have helped with some of the responses that we had, just because at some point you need more manpower and more resources to handle the stress of a pandemic. Let's talk a little bit more about the vaccine. Can you tell us how this works? You know, obviously, I'm a general surgeon. I'm not a virologist or infectious disease, but I've done a lot of uh, research and talked to a lot of the people involved with developing these vaccines for this very reason in my role as president of ARMA. So the current ones out in the market, the Pfizer and the Moderna, are something called messenger RNA vaccines. So I've heard a lot of different ways it was described, but one I appreciate is that imagine you're sending an email to your cell with containing blueprints and how to protect the cell from a foreign invader, if you will, this being the coronavirus. So the mRNA is a set of instructions that your that your cells make the protein on the on the coronavirus. The spike protein of the coronavirus is its way of entering the cell, how it gets past your defenses. So you start to create the protein yourself. And like a Snapchat message, once the email is read, it goes away. So now you have the instructions on how to build this protein. Your body produces the protein, not the virus, just the protein. Your body recognizes that as foreign material and you start developing antibodies so that if you were exposed to that protein again, you would fight it off. That's the basis for the current vaccines that are out there. That's It's a kind of a newer technology that we haven't used before. The Johnson & Johnson and the AstraZeneca ones that are coming out are based on known technology where we use a changed dead adenovirus, basically, as the delivery method for the information. And then you've heard about Novavax, which is actually using yeast cells in a lab to grow it, and that's how they're delivering it. So those are going to be the big ones out in the market once they're all released. But right now, we're with the mRNA vaccines. How can you tell, and what can you tell the folks that may be skeptical about receiving this vaccine, since it is based on this newer technology that we haven't seen uh, very commonly in vaccines that we may have received for things such as tetanus or chickenpox in the past? Yeah, no. And so the funny thing is, I said it's newer technology, and it's that's true and that's not true. It's the first time we've used it for vaccines, but it's been researched for the last 20 years. Uh, part of the reason why it hasn't been seen more readily in the in our in the public is 
you need to have research, but you need funding to support that research to figure out ways of delivering it and how to store it. And the funding wasn't always, always there for messenger RNA in that delivery method. Well, when the federal government steps in and puts $8 billion behind something, that usually helps provide some impetus to explore all the possibilities. So what people need to realize is this is not new as far as we have been aware of this for a while. Just kind of finalizing the delivery system was the big issue that now we're able to do given the influx of money that the federal government put in. I think also people can do their research. They're worried about, you know, is this going to change anything? This doesn't change your DNA. I know that's one concern. Uh, it actually is the opposite direction. Your DNA will make messenger RNA, but your messenger RNA doesn't make DNA. So when you're getting this information, you're not changing the cells. You're not affecting your ability. And I know people get nervous about injecting things they don't know about into their system, but this has been studied. No one's a guinea pig right now. If you think about it, if you participate in the phase three trials for this, yes, you may have been experimenting, but since the results were so positive from the phase three trial, it went out for everyone to use. So now we're into the use part, not the experimental part. And honestly, the one graph I saw recently that someone put up there, I thought was a really good way of showing of how far we've come is that of all five phase three trials, so that's the randomized control trials where people are blinded to what they're getting. And I'm talking about all five vaccines, zero patients so far have been hospitalized with COVID, which I think is a tremendous number when you think about where we've been so far. It's truly a tremendous benefit and an asset and really going to help us out of the pandemic. You know, a question that we received from uh, one of our listeners, uh, Denise in Awatiki asked, if someone is vaccinated, can they still be a carrier and pass COVID-19 on to someone else? That's one of the really tricky questions that we don't know the answer to yet, believe it or not. So if you think about what was the goal of the vaccine, the goal of the vaccine and getting it out as quickly as we did was to protect you from getting sick uh, or as, uh, getting sick where that it could put you, it can kill you or put you in the hospital. So that we know it protects you. What we don't know is that is it does it completely kill the virus and stop it in its tracks or does it allow you to kind of be incubated with it where it sits in your nose and throat and if you speak and those droplets come out, you can give it to someone else. They are studying that now. We do not know, which is why we have continued to advocate for things like mask wearing, physical distancing, uh, hand washing, everything you did before getting a vaccine, you still need to do until you get to that herd immunity level, which is around 70, 75% of the population. And given the number of people that have gotten the vaccine now, I think they're at, if you look at the country, you know, they've given about 30 million or so doses. So we are still way away from getting to that 70% level. And I think there's where people need to remember, you still need to protect others because we're not sure if you can still give it to someone else. They are looking into it. But the answer is right now is we don't know. Dr. Ross Goldberg is answering your questions about what we've learned since the arrival of COVID-19 one year ago. For the latest information about COVID-19, please visit cdc.gov or your local public health website. Valleywisehealth.org also offers a lot of information about this disease. Dr. Goldberg, how will this pandemic impact our healthcare teams in the future? Well, I think we've already seen kind of the eruption of telehealth, telemedicine, whatever you want to call it, as far as how we interact with patients. Some groups have been using it better than others, and then we were all were forced to use this technology, given that really large groups in small 
poorly ventilated areas was not a great idea. So I, I know for a fact telehealth is here to stay. In fact, if you look at the state of Arizona with the legislature now in session, that is one of the big omnibus bills being put together right now is kind of really establishing some boundaries and establishing telemedicine as part of the healthcare system delivery process moving forward. It opens up a lot of interesting ideas. Now, as a surgeon, I can't do telehealth on people. I have to actually be there to operate. But as far as visits, visiting with your primary care physician on certain issues, uh, mental health issues, it opens up a lot of interesting areas in which we can expand access to patients and also make it more convenient for them. Imagine not having to skip a day at work to do your quick check-in with your primary care physician because you can do it during a lunch break instead of having to take half a day off. There are some advantages there, and we are learning how to best use this technology. I think, again, footprints, how we establish things, how we prepare for things. How do hospital systems prepare for a potential future pandemic and a surge of patients goes above and beyond what we normally plan for? These are ways we can prepare and get ready. So this has been a large learning experience, like I said earlier, for the systems, and we are going to revolutionize, I think, how we deliver things. And then actually going back to the vaccine. The mRNA vaccine being as successful as it has been so far, I will not be surprised if this technology gets used for other viruses and other disease processes moving forward now that we know how to use it and how to implement it. And it could really revolutionize how we treat certain long-standing viruses that we couldn't really defeat before. And I'm curious to see where we go in the next five, 10 years. Truly, healthcare is one of those areas where we're very deliberate and sometimes fairly slow to make change. And I agree, the pandemic has really been a catalyst for us to look and explore new ways um, and be uh, somewhat ingenious about how to handle some of these issues in a very rapid way to treat the greatest good. One of the areas that you had mentioned was really around uh, individuals' mental health. We've gone through a lot this year as Arizonans and as society in a whole uh, with periods of isolation, uh, from being able to gather with loved ones to, um, again, maintaining social distancing now. How do you feel the overall mental health of our community is doing currently uh, one year later? Well, there's this new term out there, pandemic fatigue, and I, I, it's a real term, and it really explains I think people are just tired. Uh, I'm tired. Everyone's tired. We, we get it. We're tired for a variety of reasons. Uh, I worry about everyone's mental health from this. Uh, as you said, we are social creatures. We are not designed to be isolated for long periods of time without any human interaction. That is not good for our ongoing development. Uh, so there is that human-to-human touching interaction that you want to have. So I worry about, you know, what support systems are out there and what we do and what we continue to do that could have an impact on people's mental health. And I look at it from the healthcare standpoint, you know, obviously what is what our whole community is going through with the day in and day out kind of stresses of taking care of everyone. And then those who have no control over things and it's being done to them. You look at the schools as another great example of how children need social development and need to interact with one another. And it's hard to do. You really can't do that well over a computer screen. Uh, So it, there has been some impact here and I think we can't forget that. And it also has to have an impact on what decisions we make moving forward. That's why you hear the discussions about lockdown, and things like that are so important because that has a mental health aspect that we can't ignore and we need to make sure we're aware of and are addressing 
when we're talking about making decisions on how to address this pandemic from a society standpoint. I think our mental health is hanging in there. I think the vaccines are giving a positive boost that we're hopefully turning that corner. But I think we have to make sure we provide those uh, abilities to provide mental health care for those that need it. We've been doing that at the physician level at ARMA with something called the physician, the virtual doctor's lounge, which is basically a way with coaches where people can kind of vent to one another some of the frustrations because the mental health of our healthcare workers are just as important as the mental health of our patients and our families. So it is a balance that we have to continue to be mindful of. And I think put a lot of emphasis on moving forward to make sure everyone's okay as we go through this. You can make a virtual or in-person appointment with District Medical Group Provider at Valleywise Health by calling 833-855-9973 Monday through Friday from 7.30 a.m. to 5 p.m. or by visiting valleywisehealth.org and clicking the uh, book appointment button. What has made you the most proud through this entire ordeal? Honestly, it's it's the resiliency of, of my colleagues and seeing what everyone has done and kind of just doing whatever's needed to take care of people. Uh, you know, we always preach that and talk about that. That's why we all got into this profession. Uh, we see it, you know, you see it day to day, but during a pandemic, you kind of really see everyone's character come out. And, you know, I, I have said multiple times in a variety of different interviews about I appreciate most working at this institution at ValueWise Health because of the transparency of our leadership. It has been very apparent where we are and what we're doing every day and being able to participate and understand what the needs are and what we need to approach. We just talked about mental health. I can't emphasize how much of a boost that is to have some idea of what's going on as you're stepping into the fray, if you will. And so for me to see my colleagues just without even a thought, someone asks for something, we do it. Um, it makes me very proud to work in this profession. The patients who we're able to take care of are very appreciative and we thank for their thank them for their trust and their continued trust during this. It, we're all in this together. So I do think while there has been some, you know, political fighting at a much higher level than us, on the person-to-person level, there still is that connection and desire to help one another. And that's where you're still seeing the best of people come out. So that's what I'm most proud of as I as we've gone through this right now. What keeps you up at night as we are coming through and do have some hope on the horizon? What continues to give you pause? Yeah, it depends what time, where we were in the pandemic. It would be a different answer to that question. Right now, to be honest, is the race to get enough vaccines in arms to get ahead of these variants that are now popping up. So to remind everyone who's listening, a virus's job is really simple. It wants to replicate and spread as much as it can. And it wants to be efficient at doing that. So unfortunately, we as humans are the host. And the more chance it has to spread, the more chance it can mutate and it kind of make itself more efficient in spreading across its host. So you want to eliminate the chances of it spreading so it doesn't mutate as much because you worry about it mutating enough to get ahead of what the vaccine is doing. We have not seen that yet. The vaccines are working and working well. But we want to make sure that it doesn't get past that hump. So I am what I think about at night, it keeps me up, is how do we get more vaccines out there, get it distributed, and get them in people's arms? Because even that first dose has some protective effect we have found. So for me, it's really making sure people, A, are know where to get their vaccines, that we can get them the vaccines, and that we're getting it enough out there to protect all of us and to move forward to some semblance of normal in the near future. 
It certainly has been a great challenge and continues to be a great challenge as we continue to see vaccine being allocated to us in the state to make sure that we're able to deliver that and deliver that efficiently to our patients to afford them that protection. Do you think we'll ever go back to pre-COVID normal life, like going to a concert or a sporting event over the next year? I don't think it's going to be 100% like it was beforehand. There's going to be some changes because like with any major event that affects a, a country or a planet, you're going to see changes moving forward. And I just think that's a natural evolution as we learn and evolve as we deal with things. But I do think that there's going to be a point where we go back and we're back in crowds and we're back at rooting it at, at a football game or a baseball game or whatever your sport may be. I do think it's there. I just don't know what it's going to fully look like in the future because we haven't gotten there yet. And I think there's going to be some changes, but nothing that will impact the enjoyment of being in that large group with people enjoying a concert or a sporting event. What are three things people can do to help themselves and their neighbors in this fight against COVID-19? The same things that we've been preaching for about a year now, to wear a mask, physically distance when you can, and wash your hands. And honestly, I'll add a fourth one. If you feel comfortable doing so, please make sure when you're eligible to get one of the vaccines. Dr. Ross Goldberg, president of the Arizona Medical Association and District Medical Group Vice Chair of Surgery at Valleywise Health, thank you for your time today and everything you've done to keep us safe this year. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed listening to Wellness Now, brought to you by Valleywise Health and District Medical Group. If you're looking for more information about what you heard today, visit us online at valleywisehealth.org be well. There you'll find blogs, podcasts, and information about the healthcare providers you heard on the show. You can even book an appointment at a Valleywise Community Health Center near you. That's valleywisehealth.org be well. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll tune in again soon.